Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Expediters Podcast, where you can hear about front-of-mind topics in the logistics and freight forwarding industry through the lens of a global logistics provider. I'm your host, Chris Parker, and today's topic, the global air capacity shortage. Last time, it was about not enough semiconductor chips to move around the world. And for this episode, we'll be covering the fact that there's not enough space to move those chips or to meet the increasing demand for air transportation as ocean continues to see delays in capacity shortages. There's a lot of empty shelves and rising prices out there. So today I've got our senior vice president of global air, Kelly Blacker, to talk about what has been going on. Kelly, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Chris. It's nice to be here. Yeah, absolutely. I'm happy to have you. Um, I want to get to know you a little bit more and uh, for other folks here to learn more about you as well. What's your background? Uh, who are you and what has been your journey at Expeditors? So I have been with Expeditors actually for 27 years, a variety of, of positions um, going all the way back to receptionist when I first started back in 1994. Um, and I've spent most of my time in the field throughout the U.S. I've, I've lived in uh, New York and Columbus, Ohio, Memphis, and uh, I spent the last nine years actually in Atlanta. So being our district manager there and regional vice president uh, before taking on this role in August of 2020. So took on the air freight market right in the midst of this chaotic um, time that we are still in. <laughs> and uh, I'm now based back in Seattle uh, to uh, help our air freight customers. And for AIR, being Senior Vice President of AIR, why do you care about AIR? What, what keeps you excited about what you do? Uh, yeah, so it's, it's funny. One of my very first jobs uh, 20 plus years ago was in AIR, uh, okay. AIR Export. I actually got to work in the warehouse and label the freight, move it, move it out. It's probably one of the most uh, fun memories, uh, but air, it moves fast. It's always changing. It's moving quickly. You're making quick decisions. Customers are making quick, quick decisions. So it's a fun. I think it, it suits uh, what I like to do in terms of being dynamic and fast. Mm -hmm. Would you say then without bias that air is probably the, the coolest product then out there? Absolutely. <laughs> completely objective and non-biased opinion. Sure. <laughs> Uh, well, let's talk about today now then. How are things in your neck of the logistics world? Like, What's your day-to-day -day been looking like lately? Yeah, so day-to-day, so -day, I think you know, it's no secret we're still in the midst of the, the global pandemic and the impact to the air freight market. So as, as things sort of just shut down a year ago, we've been making our, our way back with capacity over time, but we're, we're still short. So my day is, is largely spent doing things like, like this, actually talking to customers uh, about the market, trying to stay up to date on the latest and greatest with what's happening in the air freight market. And that, that covers both capacity and what the airlines are doing to bring it back or take it down and, and what they can or cannot do, as, as well as with our customers. You mentioned the uh, semiconductor shortage. There, there is a large material shortage happening, and so productions are being delayed, and that's going to have a ripple effect for us to be ready for. So we spend a lot of time sort of understanding the supply chains of our customers and how that's impacting them. And then, of course, all of the other transportation services, ocean is a large driver for air and what's going on in the ocean market. So staying up to date with that, understanding what's happening with ocean and the ripple that it's going to have on air and then the ripple that both of those things have on the trucking industry, which is also struggling right now. So it's all one big uh, circle and it, and it comes with really um, what starts it all is the demand. Um, and we just are seeing unprecedented demand and uh, the impact of that on the supply chain. 
Yeah, absolutely. You know, this capacity thing is a headache now. What was the big um, challenge for air before the pandemic happened? Yeah, if we look back in time, there's been ups and downs. But I would say if you look at 2018, that was sort of the the apex for air was the largest time globally for for air cargo movement. Mm -hmm. Um, So whenever you have surges uh, in air freight, you've got cost uh, considerations. So I think with air, it's always sort of the supply and demand and the cost component of, of what that looks like. It's very expensive to move air. So customers are always pushing the price down as much as they can, but recognizing mm-hmm. that there's still a cost to it. Um, so 2019 was also a good year, but not as, as much. So as cycles go through traditional air freight products, such as you know the pharmaceutical industry, the high-tech industry, and so it's sort of, well, what's coming out? What's needed? What's important? Do people need to air freight it or can they stick with, with ocean? So there's a lot of volatility all, all of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, this year has is, is just put us in a, in a tailspin. In regards to uh, capacity for air, it's also largely dependent on travelers. Mm-hmm. The um, passenger network carried about 50, carries about 50% of the cargo. And when that disappears... Obviously, there's a problem there. So until we really start to fly again, and that's international travel, right. we're going to continue to see that the capacity shortage. All right. So you mentioned the the, uh, the reduced passenger flights impacting uh, capacity. Uh, where else did it all go? Like, where the heck did all the capacity go? I think that's what that's what yeah. a lot of people's minds right now, right? Um, it, it it parked. It it went away <laughs> and parked in the desert. Uh, yeah, is where it largely went. So the components of capacity, let's talk about the freighters first. Of course, Mm -hmm. those never went away. They've been there um, and they have increased their capacity uh, quite a bit over the last uh, 18 months. There's been some additional freighter capacity, but not much. It's not that there was an influx of traditional freighters. Those freighters are now uh, loading more. The load factors are higher. If you think of the contour of the the plane and, and how to get the cargo in, it's higher now. Um, block hours flying more. So both of those things increase capacity. And so the freighters have taken on a lot of that. On the passenger side, the passenger aircrafts have put in cargo only flights, uh, passenger freighters. and But they can only do that where they know for sure that that cargo will ride. And that cargo has to make up for the loss of the passenger revenue. So something that people may not realize, number one, like I said before, the passenger um, planes moved about 50% or more of the cargo globally, but also the passenger revenue makes up, depending on the airline, between 70 to 90% of the revenue. So with all of that gone, that cargo cost has to cover it. And if it doesn't, they'll take down the plane. They can't afford to, to fly because they're already, you know, the financial impact to the airline industry has been tremendous. Um, and and there's, there's not recovery yet. They're, they're still in a financial, um, financially bad situation. And so the, the planes got parked. So as demand has increased, you know, fl- flights have been put back in, but there's still a percentage that are, that are parked and will remain parked either because we're not traveling internationally or because it's time to retire those aircraft. It might be less efficient. It's time to evaluate that the airlines can evaluate their entire fleet and and sort of look to the future 
Um, so the overall industry is going to be smaller uh, for a few more years. I think if you there, there's data that shows um, the ordering of new aircraft got pushed out um, into the future, into 2023, 2024. So we're really looking at a constrained market uh, for the next couple of years. The estimates are that we won't have the same level of pre-pandemic capacity until about 2024. You know, as you and I were kind of uh, preparing for this interview, you, you mentioned something about this ecosystem of of transportation. You know, um, and I'm and I think of um, ocean impacting air. What does that relationship look like, and what what is happening between uh, those different modes? So on on the air freight side, in a normal market, you've got some traditional things that move mostly air, like I mentioned, the pharmaceutical, high tech industry, uh, maybe AOG type shipments. Um, but, you know, the bulk of our consumer uh, goods move ocean. Um, so when you have the capacity situation that we have and the demand that we're seeing in, in ocean, um, the, the ocean market is in, in not having the containers in the right place, not being able to get loaded, not being able to get your containers. Then all of those other industries shift over into air as well. Your general general goods um, whatever it might be, automotive, um, home goods, everything might shift over into air. So we see that conversion. The challenge is, you know, very small amount of ocean has a big impact on air in terms of total capacity, just really no comparison. Um, so we're, we're seeing some of that now, um, but everything is so congested. There's also, I think, an element of just shifting the smallest amount companies can um, in terms of that cost. Um, another phenomenon that we're seeing is sort of the cost comparison between air and ocean is shrinking. So there's been some recent publication out that ocean or sorry, air typically is about 12 times higher than the cost of ocean, get it down to a component level. Um, and now it's actually shrunk down to about six times just due to the increase in the ocean cost and inability to, to get loaded. So uh, that, that's another factor, evaluating costs and trying to get things faster. You're going to see a, a surge in air as well. Another thing that I'm thinking about here is 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 time, right? Uh, ocean is traditionally a slower mode of transportation, um, which lends itself to why it's a cheaper mode of transportation. And air is definitely those um, time sensitive shipments, or uh, it's just a faster mode, right? How does that affect the equipment needs and and the trucking needs at the end when they're receiving into their their destination? And what has the impact of that looked like? Yeah, that's actually a really great question because one of the things that we are seeing due to the increase in, in the demand um, and the, uh, really on the Trans-Pacific, Asia into the US is really what's getting hit the hardest, although into Europe is, is also there as well, is the US infrastructure. So you can see that on the, on the ocean side, the ports are struggling mightily, but so are the airline hubs um, as, as the cargo comes in. So without the passengers, the cargo, the freighter companies and the passengers who passenger uh, flights that are moving just cargo, they're largely going to fly to the hub. Um, they're they're um, eliminating some of those offline uh, points that would be filled with passengers. So they're flying into the hubs. And, and some of the reasons for that is landing rights, of course, the, the ease of getting in and out, but also return cargo. You've got to get to a place where you can easily get the bulk of the return cargo that's going to come from the hubs. 
And so the hubs are getting just inundated with, with cargo. So again, you know, the word unprecedented gets overused <laughs> these days, but I'm going to use it again. Right. And it's coming into those places and they're getting really overloaded. So we're seeing some significant congestion in the uh, U.S. traditional gateway locations. Mm-hmm. So there's just too much cargo. So it starts with the airline ground handlers and trying to unload the aircraft and get that turned around and make it available for for us. They're, they, they can't they they can't handle it as well. They don't have the, they don't have the capacity warehouse um, capacity to, to to turn it quickly. Labor is also an issue. Equipment is also an issue in terms of forklifts and and things like that to get their cargo moved. And then it compounds into the CFS operations, same issue, lack of warehouse capacity and labor and just being able to do that through point, throughput. And then you get into, okay, it's finally ready. Now come get it. We're faced with a, with a trucking challenge as well, making sure that we've got that trucking capacity to get it out of the facility. So it, it really is, um, you know, each domino that falls um, makes the next step in the process more difficult. And right now um, we're, we're seeing the results of that on the destination side in being extremely congested. Yeah, it absolutely is like this this massive ecosystem where everything is interlocked and, and connected to each other. Uh, and, and one little thing, well, it, this has been a big thing, but it's also having like exponentially larger impact you know, as, it, as it goes on. Uh, what are some surprising ways that COVID caused this shortage or has impacted the infrastructure of air freight? Yeah, well, I think, you know, one of the things I just said in terms of airlines sort of shaving off um, the the connecting locations, Mm -hmm. so airlines have really pared down uh, shipping to to the hub locations. Also, the emphasis on cargo, uh, again, the passenger carries, the the passengers have always made up the bulk of the focus Mm -hmm. because that's where the revenue comes from. So, of course, that's going to be the case. And the cost to move goods, and this is across the board, um, has always been pushed down. How can we get things moved at a less cost? So mm-hmm. transportation costs being pushed down over the course of time. And if you don't have, if that cost goes down, then your ability to invest in infrastructure at the hubs um, at destination gets pushed down or delayed. And, and so what we're seeing now is sort of a resurgence of the focus on cargo. Cargo is saving the airline industry right mm-hmm. now. And it, therefore it's getting more attention and more focus. And hopefully that will translate as we look into the future and more focus on, on cargo. Because what we, we've seen is, is airlines kind of scale back a little bit on cargo. If you look at the last 10 years or so, and uh, and focus more on the passenger side and less on the cargo side. And, you know, we're sort of having our moment now. And, and let's see if that translates to the future to be determined, I think. Yeah. And you saying that cargo is the focus now and passengers not so much. I've been hearing, call me crazy, uh, but I've been hearing that cargo is now riding in the place of passengers. We now have cargo actually sitting in airline seats and that are, that are flying out there. How are airlines trying to add capacity? Like, it sounds like they're clearly getting very creative. Yeah, they have. Actually, you should go- Google it if, if any of us here <laughs> haven't done that. It's kind of neat to see the, the cargo on, on the seats. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's exactly what they've done. So on, on heavy cargo routes, the airlines have been able to put in cargo-only flights. They're calling them 
praters, passenger freighters, praters. <laughs> um, and there are some that have actually done a full conversion where you take the seats out and you may, you just make it a, a freighter. Yeah. But, um, but less of that and more of using their existing flights to accommodate the market. So um, the the good part is it adds some capacity back. Um, but the negative or, you know, the output of that is it's a lot harder to load and unload. Right. You've got to individually strap in the cargo to the seat or the overhead bin. And so you don't have your big ULDs that can just be, you know, loaded on and off really quickly. Yeah, yeah. And and so again, at the destination side, I talked about some of the congestion. Well, that adds to it. Now it takes longer to, to unload um, and get that stuff turned around. And that adds more time and, and more congestion. And I imagine too, like the depalletization that you have to do in order to strap that freight in. And I'm thinking about like when I, when I see a pallet, a pallet get put together, uh, they have to tear that apart and and then put it back together at the destination, that's going to cause even more delay and, and, and stress and, and constraint, no? Yeah, well, there's always cargo that moves loose. So not everything has okay. is, is been built up. There's always cargo that comes in loose. And, and you're seeing that because you're right, it has to be loose cargo to yeah. fit up there. Sure. And it has to be of a certain size and a certain weight. Um, so it does limit some of the of what can be put up there. Um, but there, there's always enough, uh, especially these days, to to um, keep as much as we can palletized on on the lower deck uh, um, part of the aircraft at, or on the freighters, and then put the loose cargo um, in the seats. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to mis- mislead because it is happening. We're seeing a lot of passenger freighters, and some airlines have have done a great job of adding that. But it sure. it hasn't been enough to overcome the the loss of the capacity of the of the flights that are still parked. Right. So what does our side as freight forwarders look like? You know, what kind of position are we finding ourselves in between the needs of our customers and then the capacity uh, or securing the capacity, you know, that that carriers can provide? Yeah, that's really the 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 biggest thing we're, we're focused on right now. So, mm-hmm. uh, you, you know, we work with the carriers uh, on long term strategic relationships. We try very hard to, to partner ourselves in a unique way and. From that side of it, during the pandemic, we kept that same philosophy or focus. So the commercial carriers, they're, they're hurting. They're, they're, they're not doing as well. So we try to, to stay with them and partner with them and, and try to support them as, as best we can. Mm-hmm. Um, so in, I guess on the carrier side, the, the main focus that we have is trying to secure capacity. Um, because there's just less of it. Sure. And then the customers need capacity. So all of the other conversations in in regards to price and whatnot are, are less important now than making sure we have capacity. Mm-hmm. So I think the forwarder industry as a whole is is in that position of trying to get as much as we can in the right time in the right place to service the business. The customer side, on you know, talk about the struggles on on either side. Customers are, are trying to get the goods in. People are ordering. Uh, demand is not going down. Inventory to sales ratios are historic lows. Um, PMI is still very high. There's all these indicators that that show that that demand is going to continue, and there are a lot of pressure to get the goods in and try to get them back on the shelf. So trying to play um, to to both to, to make sure that we're doing as best we can to support the carriers as well as get the capacity mm-hmm. for our customers. Um, but I think our, our 
our biggest role in that is obviously the facilitation of the movement, but helping the, the market understand the, the levers that are happening. Um, why are we in this situation due to the pandemic mm-hmm. and the cost pressure that's been coming for a long time? We've pushed the price down so, so low for so long that it, it's got to rebalance itself. And then just the sheer demand, um, you know, people have got some disposable income and, and they're spending it. Yeah. Uh, and there's no end in sight. <laughs> let's, let's hope there is at some point, someday, that there is. <laughs> Maybe you could strike that. <laughs> yeah, hey, we're on this ride forever. <laughs> so there are organizations like the International Air Transportation Association, IATA, keeping a close eye on the situation. You mentioned earlier that we were looking at uh, to return to pre-pandemic levels of capacity by 2024. Now, I had read that that was a an, an estimate from at least a year ago. You're saying that that's still the same. Why hasn't that estimate changed or could it change? Um, yeah, I definitely think it could change, mm-hmm. um, but I would say it hasn't changed yet. If you consider the ability to bring in new aircraft, that takes a long time anyway. Sure. In regards to, you know, you're looking at a couple of years to bring in new capacity and then in terms of the, the capacity that is still parked, that some of that will continue to return, but some of it will never return. Again, like I said before, that'll be retired, moved on, less efficient aircraft. Uh, so we're looking to the future. You've got both of those things uh, combined um, in regards to total capacity. The other big piece is, is the travelers. There are parts of the world that were um, more heavily dependent on passenger uh, aircraft. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the Trans-Pacific is, is where a large amount of the freighters have always been. So that's going to rebound faster if you look at total capacity. Um, but going into Europe, for example, um, highly, a lot of leisure travel, a lot of um, business travel there. And so a lot more passenger flights going into there. So that needs that to return. Other markets like Latin America, uh, the South Pacific, same type of thing. So parts of the world will recover more slowly until mm-hmm. we start to travel again. Gotcha, gotcha. You know, if we were to look back uh, at this shortage and compare it to other capacity shortages that have happened in the past, will this be seen as a hiccup twenty years down the line, or will this have surpassed previous? Uh, previous uh, challenges and previous shortages. Now, I know that it's kind of different because this is a global pandemic that happened, but you know, how, how do you think we'll look back on this? Yeah, it, you know, his, history will, will define us all. But <laughs> um, if we look at two really big historical events, 9-11, you know, mm. that happened in the United States, but that did have global ramifications where mm. all air travel stopped for a period of time, but it was a very short period of time. Sure, sure. So in terms of the movement of goods, not as much of an impact as it did have on travelers. I think travelers were a lot more hesitant to return at that time. Um, and then the financial crisis in 2008, 2009, which it was another big dip in the global scale of things. Uh, and, you know, I think some, sometimes we don't recognize that that actual recovery t- took a little while um, in regards to getting things back to, to pre-levels. But my estimate is that this is much, much greater than either of those two things. Sure. If we think about global supply chain and the fact that it's impacting everything, um, it's not just an ec- economic thing that happened in the 2008 financial crisis. This is both. This is an economic thing. It's a consumer behavior uh, change. It's how we 
order goods um, change. So there's a lot more going on, I think, this time, and that will have a longer ripple effect. What would you say companies are doing strategically in order to kind of keep things moving? What is proven successful for uh, for various organizations? Yeah, I think it's going to take a while to sort of sort through that. Mm. It's hit us all really hard. So there's more of a reactionary thing happening. And, uh, you know, it hit us hard in that the world just stopped. And then it hit us hard again when the world reopened and, and started really buying on a, on a big scale. So both of those things we weren't necessarily ready for. So I think customers are right right now just trying their best to, to get the goods where they need to go through right. any traditional means they can. But looking, I, I guess, sort of a short-term fix is looking, trying to pull orders uh, up. Um, you know, we're, we're about to hit the holidays again and, yeah. and trying to pull those orders sooner than they would normally ship as best they can. And then if we look to the long term, I think there will be discussions again about shifting production. Uh, we were having those conversations pre-pandemic, and I think that will we'll start to pick up again about where manufacturing takes place. Maybe it becomes closer to uh, the distribution networks and then bringing inventory in uh, closer to, the, to where the goods ultimately need to be. I think, I think that's probably one of the biggest things because e-commerce you know, took off at a much faster pace than the world hadn't previously anticipated. We're we're ordering like crazy from an e-commerce standpoint. So I think getting those inventory levels closer to the distribution networks will will likely be a long-term change. All right. So last question uh, to wrap this all up is what helps you sleep at night? Like what aren't you worried about right now? I feel like whatever I say here, people will have a, a different opinion. So um, we'll, we'll try to, to, to say it the right way. But well, this is a global thing that occurred. Yeah. Every country, every person has been affected by this in varying degrees. So I would like to think that globally, uh, we can come out of it together, maybe a little bit more connected, understanding that when something happens in one country, it affects so many other things. Mm -hmm. Um, And this was a a really good reminder to all of us how interconnected the world is. Um, So I'm not sure that helps me sleep at night, but I think (laughs) it is maybe a positive that comes out of this. Um, and then, uh, personally, you know, you think about all of the, the damage that this has done to businesses and, and people and individual lives. And it's, it's really sad to think about on the other hand, the positives, you know, we've all been given a moment to reflect, a moment to slow down. And for me, a moment to spend a lot more time with family and my kids and just being around more. Um, and that's been a huge benefit. So that's definitely helped me sleep at night to just be more connected to the people around me. Yeah. What a gift to be told to stay where you are. And then you can start asking yourself, like, who am I? <laughs> what yes. do I care about? You know, like, what's a lot important more to me? self-reflection than ever before. <laughs> <laughs> well, Kelly, thank you so much uh, for chatting uh, with me about this today. If people wanted to get into contact with you to, to talk more about this and, and learn more, where can they find you? Yeah, I'm, I'm very available. I, you know, we're not traveling so much yet, so still, <laughs> still at home and, and, and local. So I'm absolutely available through expediters. If you want to make the phone call or send an email, mm-hmm. I am also on LinkedIn, um, Kelly uh, Blacker. 
and I and on Instagram as well. Those are the only two uh, social media platforms that I use, but I, I'm available and active on both of those. Excellent. Well, Kelly, thank you again so much. And uh, yeah, have a great day. Take care. Thank you so much, Chris. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you've got questions or want to learn more about today's topic, check out the show notes for more information. And before you go, make sure you're subscribed on whatever podcast app you're using so you won't miss the next episode. To learn more about Expediters, you can find us on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or simply visit us at expediters.com. Take care, and I'll see you next time.